Good morning, Rooted. So glad you joined us this morning. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We just got started talking last week about the abuse of spiritual gifts. Going to get into that in more detail. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dusty Brackett. This is the Rooted Growth Group or Sunday School class or Bible study. However, you're viewing it. It's perfectly okay. I am the executive pastor at Liberty Church, and we're so thankful that you joined us. And we've been working our way through the book. This is about the 21st or 22nd class, and um, we're excited about what God is teaching us in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I would remind you, as I try to do every class, that the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in response to a letter containing some questions that they sent to him. And you can kind of follow the pattern through the book where he begins to answer these different questions. And there are about eight or nine enemies of the church that Paul is dealing with. And we're on number seven. We're on the enemy of the abuse of spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts is covered in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Now, most people, when they talk about chapter 13, only refer to it as the love chapter because of all the things it talks about. But it's stuck where it's stuck because God put it right there on purpose. And you can't read about spiritual gifts and understand what spiritual gifts are all about unless you read chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 as a unit. And so I encourage you to be doing that. And as we walk, walk our way through it, work our way through it, I'll show you how they are interconnected. Now, I would remind you as well that our intention is to give an overview of these details about spiritual gifts, uh, deal with some, some of the abuses, and then I want to spend at least one class period talking specifically about speaking in tongues. And we're going to refer to the chapter, uh, to the passage in Mark. We're going to refer to the three places, only three places in the Bible where someone speaks in tongues. They're all in the book of Acts, a transitional book, and then the instructions for speaking in tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to look at all of those things, and uh, I'm going to teach you what I believe the Word of God teaches us in the position of every church across the board. But before we get into all that, remember that chapter 12, I told you last time we were together, the first 11 verses give us the cause of unity in the body in regards to spiritual gifts. And that cause of unity is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned by name nine times in the first 11 verses of chapter 12. And it is called the same spirit over and over again. And the chief evidence that I am controlled by the Holy Spirit is that my life contributes to the unity of the body. And if my spiritual gift hinders that unity, it's either not a spiritual gift or it's a spiritual gift that is being used inappropriately. It is being abused. So speaking in tongues, healing, picking up snakes, drinking poison, healing... The raising the dead even, all those sensational things are not necessarily the proof that you're filled with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-serving, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith. These are the things that the Holy Spirit produces in my life. Those sensational things are ways that God illustrates His power from time to time. But the proof that I'm living filled with the Holy Spirit is I have those fruits in my life, not necessarily that I'm able to do these great things. And if I have love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith in my life, I will contribute to the body of Christ because it's just wonderful to be around that kind of person, all right? And so the Holy Spirit is the unifying factor, and we talked about that uh, before. We often seek for the sensational because of our humanity. We like the sensational. People make money off the fact that we love the sensational. But the Word of God does not always deal in the sensational. It deals with the routine, day-to-day, line-upon-line, precept-upon-precept, doctrine, controlling our behavior. And if your doctrine does not control your behavior, you don't really believe your doctrine. 
We don't believe it all, at all. And doctrine has to control behavior or it's worthless. And then in the last section, 12 through 31 of chapter 12, Paul gives us the illustration of the unity of the spirit. And he does so by giving us the picture of the human body. Now, you can take a second to glance over your human body. You're probably not satisfied with it because I don't know many human beings who are. But I do want you to get grasp as you look at your body. There may be some parts you have to look way over or way around. I don't know. But you see that your body is not the same everywhere. And what the passage teaches us is that we do have unity, but not unity through uniformity. We have unity through diversity because God gives every person in the body of Christ a role that contributes to the unity and function of the body. Just like your human body has various members that all contribute to the unity of the body. And let one of those members get out of unity and you will be in the hospital or you will be in a lot of pain. It's the same way in in the church of Christ, all right? Every member has their place, a way to contribute to the unity of the body. And when they get in disunity, it causes problems. And many of us have experienced those things, either being part of the disunity or having to deal with the disunity in the church as well. And that's where we talked, stopped talking last time. And I just want to remind you that when God talks about the body, the human body, he deals with both the, the, the beautiful parts of the human body and the not-so-beautiful parts. And he reminds us that the beautiful parts or the comely or uncomely is the way the King James words it. Those parts, the, the not-so-beautiful parts, have a distinct and necessary function in the body even though they may not be attractive. And sometimes we view the outward natural ability of a human being as a spiritual gift and that may not be correct may not be correct and sometimes natural ability is a great hindrance to spiritual ability because the human being naturally tends to trust his natural ability and he does not trust in the Lord and you cannot be filled with the spirit unless you're trusting in the Lord and your natural ability often gets in the way. And there's a big difference between God's idea of ability and man's idea of ability. So I've worked at a lot of different churches. I've worked at <clears throat> really small churches. Uh, first church I ever pastored had about 20 people, and that included my four or five. And, and then Liberty is a good deal larger than those things. But I would just remind you that you cannot judge a man's ability based upon the size of his ministry. Because it takes some special gifts to pastor a small church. It takes some special gifts. And sometimes guys who pastor large churches do not do well at small churches. They do not do well because they don't have the gifts, the relationship gifts of dealing with people on such an intimate level. They function better in a larger environment. And so remember that God is not looking for outward fruitfulness. He's looking for inward faithfulness. And God may not necessarily call you to a visible or large work. He may cause you to serve in a small, out-of-the-way place, but little as much when God is in it. He may call you to serve in a subservient role to someone else, which is my role at Liberty. I'm not the lead pastor. I follow the direction of Pastor Matt Morell, and that's what God has called me to do. And I believe he's given me some gifts to do what he calls me to do because that's just how God works. He gifts you to do what he calls you to do. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. And let me... Just go ahead and say this, that no true child of God will despise the spiritual gifts of another, all right? Not everybody is gifted to lead. 
Not everybody's gifted to sing. Not everybody's gifted to serve in the number two spot. Some are called over large work. Some are called over some small work. Some are given ten talents. Some are given five talents. Some are given one talents. But to whom much is given, much is required. And so do not despise the spiritual gifts that God has given another. He knows that person's place in the body. And do not use your spiritual gifts or your perception of your spiritual gifts as a source of pride to lord it over another. Don't do that. Don't do that. Allow God to open up those doors for your gifts to be used. I've had people come to me and tell me that I, I needed to listen to their opinion because they had the gift of discernment. And I know it's not true across the board. It's just been true in my experience that when somebody tells me they have a particular spiritual gift, there's almost immediate evidence that they lack that very spiritual gift that they think they have. I'm just saying, in my experience, that's how it's been. And maybe it's because I get critical when somebody tells me that, and I look for the flaws and errors or the weaknesses, and maybe they really do have the gift. I don't know. But lots of times when people say, hey, I got this gift, then I automatically begin to be suspect about that. Because the Holy Spirit, the gifts they give you will not make you proud. You don't have to push those gifts off on people. It'll be evident. Because what I have experienced in my own life is that when God has a purpose and plan for you and he gives you certain gifts, he opens up doors for you to exercise those gifts. He does. And some things God has not opened the doors for me because I, I'm, I'm not equipped to handle that. I'm not. And so I just try to do what he wants me to do. And uh, lots of times we talk about the teamwork of the body. But I would remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God never uses the word teamwork. He talks about headship. And there's a difference in that. Headship is each of us being submitted to Christ as our head and the subsidiary heads that God places over us. And when both of us are submitted to the head, there can be no disunity between us. And that's what creates teamwork. Don't make a goal out of teamwork. Make a goal out of submission to the headship and teamwork will follow. Never make goals out of byproducts. Keep the goal the right thing. The goal being the right the right goal is that we be submitted to the headship of Christ. And when someone is out of disunity in the body, it's not because they don't like this or they don't like that or somebody's doing wrong. Somewhere. It's because they're not submitted to Christ. That's really what it boils down to. Somebody, one side or the other, is not submitted to Christ. Because when both parties are submitted to Christ, they don't have to be in perfect uniformity. They don't all have to like the same things. But the attitude and, and spirit will be one of unity, not one of disunity. They will work to resolve those differences. And if they cannot resolve those differences, they will depart peaceably and agree to disagree. They will. But they will not cause disunity in the body of Christ and hurt the name of Christ publicly on Facebook or anywhere else it may be that they use as a venue or an outlet for their disagreement. Just shows you're not filled with the Spirit. You're an immature Christian when you do those types of things. All right, now that I've heard all of your feelings, all right, let's talk some more about some of these things. All right, there are some uh, practical truths that I want to give you about spiritual gifts, and then I'm going to talk a little bit, if we get to it today, about some of the principles need, we need to remember when we deal with spiritual gifts. And I have seven of those before we ever get to the speaking in tongues part. Uh, in, in its entirety. But let me cover these. We'll see how far we get. And if not, we'll pick it back up next week and keep right on teaching. All right, the first thing is that all Christians possess some spiritual gifts. All Christians have something. Usually, Christians possess more than one. There may be a dominant one in there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, reminds us that those in the church were not for we see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. And we take that attitude, that these are a church full of slaves, 
that didn't have a whole lot of outward things to appeal to people. And then we go right into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we realize these are gifted people that God wants to use to further the unity of the body and the, and the kingdom of God. And God chooses the things that are not. And our church, this church, is full of slaves with spiritual gifts. But you know what you and I do? We judge by the outward appearance. We do, and the man who is personable, who is affable, who has the ability to talk to people, he's an extrovert, he's well-dressed, he can talk well. Well, we see his great spiritual gifts. We think we see his spiritual gifts. That might not be his spiritual gift at all. Maybe he's so narcissistic and so self-centered that he has to force himself into the middle of everything, and it may not be a spiritual gift whatsoever. And we, we look at the man who is not dressed as well, who doesn't have those outward gifts and talents, and we never ever give him a chance to utilize what God has allowed him to do because he is gifted spiritually. Now, God can open those doors for him. I get all that, but I'm just telling you that we as the church sometimes are wrong in our approach. Lots of times I've heard people say this, man, that guy is so gifted. If God could ever get a hold of his heart, he could do great things for the kingdom of God. That is the most foolish way of looking at things. Most foolish way. Because anybody, whether they have outward gifts or not, if they will yield their life to God, God can do great things in the kingdom of God for them. Don't look at man in a man-centered way. Don't view him in his outward talent. View him as a priceless member of the body of Christ, and God wants to use these things. And every Christian has some spiritual gift. you got something. Say, Brother Dusty, I don't know what it is. I don't either. All right? But I'm going to give you some guidelines in regards to that here in just a second. All right, secondly, all spiritual gifts come from the Holy Spirit. Don't limit your spiritual gift. Sometimes we limit our spiritual gift by deciding this is the gift we have. I took a test online. I talked to a preacher. I talked to my spiritual mentor, and they told me this was my gift, and so this is the area I'm going to exercise in and try to push myself forward. Maybe so, maybe not. But if you do that, you may be limiting the Holy Spirit. He may have broader things for you. And there are areas in my life where I have seen growth and God use me in a way that I never would have chosen, except that the circumstances that God placed me in pushed me into it. And I am convinced that if you have a gift, and you do have a gift, that God will open up doors of opportunity for you to exercise that gift. Because most of you have more than one. You may be wrong about that, about your gift. And so just trust God, because he's the one who created you. He gave you the gift, and he has the place to exercise the gift. And all you need to do is be available. Be willing to do anything. <clears throat> I think many Christians never get to see the exercise of their spiritual gift is because they've drawn boxes around things they will not do, will not yield, will not allow God to say, I want you to know I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not taking that step. And because of that, they are spiritually immature, diminutive spiritually all of their life, never grow into maturity and adulthood because they refuse to do certain things and their gifts are not exercised. <clears throat> God gives you the gift. I believe he'll push you toward it. So, brother, I had a preacher come to me one time. And he said, Brother Dusty, tell me about your call to preach. He said, because I believe your call to preach ought to be just as, as fabulous and fantastic and wonderful as your salvation experience. It ought to be just as marked just as plain to you. He said, because I got saved. I mean, I went from darkness to light. And when I got called to preach, I remember that day like it was yesterday. And I'm like, I, I, I don't remember a day when I got struck by lightning and God said, preach, Dusty, teach. I, I, I don't remember that. I don't. Um, mine was kind of like I, I kind of grew into it. It just kind of pushed along in circumstances this way and circumstances that way. And here I am 50 years old teaching and preaching. And I believe that you may or may not have some euphoric experience where your gift is revealed to you 
Sometimes it's just God using circumstances to guide you. And if you're willing to be pushed and flow, you end up doing what kind of what God called you to do because he gifted you and made you. And it's much easier for me and more I have operated more confidence if I can just leave all of that in the hands of God. I mean, I try to figure out some some unique thing. Just say, God, here I am. Use me and he'll find a place for you to be used. And if your gift is just a gift of service, that's the greatest gift of all, because God told us and reminded us that the servant is the leader. He's the first. If you want to be first, be the servant, be the last. That's what he tells us. And so I don't know what your spiritual gift is. Yield to God. Lay everything out before him. Tell him he is the supreme ruler in your life and you will do anything that he asks you to do and then trust him and obey him when he opens up the doors of opportunity and take those steps. And eventually you'll find out what your gift is. He will show you clearly and plainly and he will use it. Not only should we not limit our own spiritual gift, but we should not limit the Holy Spirit in the gifts of others. All right? I've heard people say, that young man says he's called to preach, but he will never make a preacher. You don't know what God will do with that individual. You don't know. Well, that girl can never be used. She's too shy. She'll never be used to teach or do anything. She doesn't even know how to talk. You don't know what God can do with those things. And don't set your personality as the boundary lines of where God can operate. God can set you free from your personality. He can get you outside of your box. Um, just from my own personal experience, I, I'm really not a people person. I don't like y'all. I just candidly, it's arrogance, and I know it is, and I, I'm not a people person. I'm the type of guy that comes sit down in the room and never speak to anybody, and I'll be just fine. I won't sit over there and pout because nobody talked to me because I don't care that you didn't talk to me. I don't want you to talk to me. That's that's my natural heart, all right? Pastor Matt is just the opposite. He walks into the room. He's got to talk to everybody. People are drawn to him. They want to talk to him. I, I, I'm perfectly okay. You're not speaking to me at all. You're going to hurt my feelings. I never have gone home and said, he didn't even shake my hand. I'm like, I'm glad he didn't speak to me. All right. That's more my personality. I, I, I'm a little bit introverted on that side. My daughter got a whole lot of that. And we share sometimes our laughs about these things. Uh, that's, that's just the way God made me. But he's put me in a position that has kicked me outside of the bounds of my personality. And he's helped me, and I have to work at it. But I try to walk around and talk to people, speak to people, talk to people in the stores and invite people to church and these kinds of things. Oh, it just cuts across me. But I found that God is exercising me and expanding me and helping me and giving me some fruit for, for some of those efforts that he's accomplished in my own life. And if I allow my personality to box me into what God will do, I will be limiting the Holy Spirit's work in my life. Hey. Ask God to help you. He'll lead you forward. And then sometimes when he does lead you forward, you've got to be willing for him to shelve your natural talents. Spiritual gifts are supernatural, not natural. Natural talents, obviously, are natural. And sometimes God will put your natural talent on the shelf to use you in a way that humbles you instead of magnifying the pride that comes with the natural talent. Sometimes he'll do that. Sometimes I do that, and it's not always easy for us. Your spiritual gift and your natural talent may be related, but they may not be related as well. And sometimes God will put those things on the shelf. So if you want to know more detail about spiritual gifts, here's the passage of the Scripture. There's three passages of Scripture that deal with spiritual gifts fundamentally. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. Read those three passages of Scripture. They give us the detail of spiritual gifts, and they all work to the unity of the body of Christ 
And I'm here to remind you again, if you will yield your heart 100% and completely to God, he will lead you forward in time to the exercise of the gifts that he gave you. I cannot tell you what your spiritual gift is. He made you. He gave you the gift, and he can lead you forward to the exercise of that gift. He's well able. He is the God of the universe, and he knows what he's doing in regards to your life. Yield to him. All right? Now, see how much time I got left. I got a little bit of time left, and I want to start to talk about I didn't. I did not give them all to you on purpose. All right? Because I don't want to talk about all of them today, and I don't want you writing them all down and looking at them, but I want you to think about these things. Um, these seven Bible principles in dealing with spiritual gifts, there is a movement. It is not necessarily as easily identified today as it was when I was a boy. But in the 70s and 80s, I heard my dad talk about the charismatic movement all the time. And charismatic, charisma means gifts, all right? And uh, uh, that movement emphasizes the use of the spiritual gifts. Now, I'm going to give you some denominational names. This is not across the board. Black and white are exclusive to this list. It just gives you a general idea, right? When you see Pentecostal churches, Church of God, when you see a full gospel church, these types of things, those are churches that emphasize the use of spiritual gifts. Uh, uh, and then the Christian assemblies, some things like that. Now, you find these spiritual gifts exercised in all denominations to varying degrees. There are Catholic churches that speak in tongues, all right? So just because the name says one thing on the sign does not mean that you're going to find what you find when you get inside. And if you've ever been to a church, uh, you, you, you know that to be a true thing, all right? Not all Baptist churches are Baptist churches in the same sense that you mean it, Presbyterian, Methodist, etc. And so they lay great stress on the spiritual gifts. And I'm going to give you some principles that have to guide us when we're dealing with spiritual gifts. And then I'm going to deal specifically with the abuses of those spiritual gifts. Now, please do not misunderstand me as we begin our approach. God is God. He can do whatever he wants to do because he's God. All right. And if he wants to exercise any of these spiritual gifts in this very moment while I'm teaching, he can because he's God. And we believe that God gave us these gifts, and these are primarily sign gifts. As the church was young and immature, and as the church matured, the sign gifts were no longer necessary. But that does not mean they are 100% obsolete. God certainly does heal today. He certainly does give people from time to time with the ability to speak in languages that they did not grow up knowing. He has done those things. He certainly has healed people. He has certainly done things that are miraculous, and he still can. And I don't mean to limit it in that sense, but there are some principles that should guide us in going forward. And the first one is that in our spiritual gifts, we should always be Christ-centered. Christ-centered. Write this quote down, or at least think about it. In his revelation of himself to man, God has chosen to make Jesus Christ the central figure of the Godhead. In his revelation of himself to mankind, God has chosen to make Jesus Christ the central figure in the Godhead. But the problem that we have in spiritual gifts is that we either make the Holy Spirit the central figure or we make the gifts the central figure. That's out of order. Christ must always be the central figure. The Holy Spirit, when he is present, he points people to Jesus. His work is subservient by design. 
Christ is the one that people are to magnify and glorify, not the Holy Spirit. And if your gift magnifies the Holy Spirit instead of magnifying Jesus Christ, there's some kind of error there. So, Brother Dusty, aren't they the same because of one of the God? Yes, they are the same. But the way that God has chosen is to make Jesus Christ the central figure in the Godhead. And our gifts, the exercise of our gifts, and the filling of the Holy Spirit will always, always point to, to Jesus Christ. All right? The Holy Spirit is extremely important, but he always points us to Jesus. 27 books in the New Testament. How many of them reveal to us the Holy Spirit? I'll wait for you. He is hardly mentioned in some of them. Hardly mentioned at all. All right? Because Colossians 1.18, I'm going to read this passage to you because this is essential. I can almost quote it, but... Sure, there's a word I'll do it wrong, and you'll comment, but just you quoted that wrong, and I have to deal with you, bring the church discipline against you. I'm teasing. All right, 118. And he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And if spiritual gifts are to be exercised and the Holy Spirit is present, he will always make the person of Christ preeminent. All right. What are the pastoral epistles? First and second Timothy and Titus are called pastoral epistles. And they're called pastoral epistles because the Apostle Paul is educating these young pastors about how to run the church. Right. And I would just remind you that there is only one mention of the Holy Spirit in each one of those books for a total of three. Now, if the Holy Spirit and his work was so preeminent that the sign gift people make it, wouldn't Paul have talked in more detail about it to someone who's pastoring a church? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit is vitally important. We need his filling. We need his presence. We need his fruit in our life. But when he is present, he always points us back to Jesus Christ. He does not point us to himself. All right? Now, John 15, 26 is a passage of Scripture where Jesus promises us that he's going to send us the Holy Spirit, all right? And I want to read this, and I want you to understand exactly what's going on. Sometimes we miss this little point. The Bible tells us, when the Comforter has come, whom I will send you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. That's what Jesus says. In other words, who's the source of the Holy Spirit? Jesus Christ. He said, I'm sending them. And when he gets there, guess what he's going to do? He's going to magnify himself. Talk, no, he's going to talk about me. He's going to elevate me. He's going to testify of me. And so if you want to know if you're full of the Spirit, turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes to Jesus. The whole Christian life is wrapped up in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And if he's the author and the finisher of our faith, that also includes the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's in Christ. That I have these things. Not exclusive of Christ. It's not. Always make Christ the central thing. And if Christ is not the central thing. You are out of Bible order. You are. You are. Make Christ the central thing. And the Holy Spirit will be glorified. Christ will be glorified. God the Father will be glorified. I'm just going to touch on this one. I do not have time to develop it as fully as I wished. But the second principle that we need to remember in dealing with spiritual gifts. Is we need to stress the wonder of. A full salvation. So that's, that's a weird way to phrase that. I know. But here's what, I want, here's what I'm talking about. We view getting saved, salvation, 
as this point in time in our life. And then we search for this secondary filling of the Spirit where the gifts come upon us and we enter into the fullness of the Christian experience. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. All right? When I get saved, I get the full package. There's no second work of grace that I'm looking for. All right? I get all the Holy Spirit. I get everything that God intends for me the moment I get saved. All right? There are no upgrades in the kingdom of God. Now, does God get all of me initially? No, he doesn't. I grow into that. All right? But I don't have to seek and beg God to give me the second word of grace. I need to seek and beg God for me to give myself to him so he can fill me and move those things that are hindrances out of my life. And so it is in the fullness of of salvation, then I get these things. And sometimes as we approach the spiritual gifts, we minimize just how wonderful and complete salvation is. You need to go forward in the full salvation you got the moment that you get saved. There's an old song we used to sing about more and more about Jesus. I'll not sing it to you and ruin this video. But the verse goes, more of his saving fullness he, more of his love who died for me more and more about Jesus. And so if you ever refer to somebody, oh, he's just saved. He doesn't have the work of the Spirit yet. You misunderstand what the Bible talks about, all right? Most of us know so little about our full salvation. We spend our life looking around for the next thing, the next experience, the next sensational movement of God. Where the problem is, is that we just need to yield our stubborn will to God, submit to doing whatever he wants us to do, allow his Holy Spirit to fill our life, live and rest in his peace and his joy in our hearts and find out the purpose for which we are created and spend our time glorifying God. That's, that's the gist of the Christian life. And sometimes God will move in a sensational way and sometimes he won't. But it's all right because I'm just his servant here to do whatever he wants me to do. And so next time we're together, we'll talk about the other five principles that guide us in our spiritual gifts. And then we'll talk specifically about speaking in tongues. And some of you have asked me about that, and I've waited to answer your questions. You've emailed me or, or texted me. I've waited to answer your questions until we got to this passage. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be talking about that next week. All right? So if this video has helped you, please do two things for me. Number one, like it. All right, like it, and when you like it, you can comment on it. Let me know how God uses it in your life. If you flat disagree with me, you think I'm an idiot, tell me that too. I can take it, all right? And then share it. Click that. That's the easiest way to spread the truth of the gospel around. Not that I possess all truth, but if it helps you, it may help somebody else, and that helps all of us. My name is Dusty Brackett. This is Liberty Church. You've been watching Rooted. Appreciate that. Have a good day.